Welcome back, everyone, to the Heart Podcast. I'm Milagros Castillo Montoya, and I'm your co-host and co-producer for the Heart Podcast. I'm excited that I am accompanied by Omar Romandia, who is also the co-host and co-producer of the Heart Podcast. Omar, I hope you're as excited as I am to explore anti-racist teaching again in higher education. Gracias, Milagros, and welcome back, everybody. My name is Omar Romandia, and I'm a second-year doctoral student studying education policy at the University of Connecticut. I'm so grateful to be a co-host and co-producer alongside you on this fabulous journey, and I'm also really excited to kick off our second season. I can't believe it. That's cool. For this second season, we're excited to share with you all, our focus this semester is going to be on anti-racist teaching in applied fields. In fact, we're going to have that conversation all academic year. But in the fall, we're going to focus on the arts in specific. So we're going to explore anti-racist teaching with faculty and practitioners of dance, music, theater, arts education, and more. We're so excited to engage in this conversation and hope that you are too. Omar, again, thanks for being here and being willing to be a part of this adventure with me. I look forward to what we're going to learn together from our amazing guests this semester and throughout the academic year. That's well said. Season one was so enlightening and broadened my horizons in terms of the expansive world of anti-racist teaching practices. I'm particularly excited about our focus on applied fields for season two because there are so many creative conduits for how to share, learn, and experience anti-racist teaching practices. Given my musical and artistic upbringing, I really look forward to embarking on this journey to hear how the arts are used in anti-racist teaching. Awesome, Omar. Thanks so much. I look forward to co-hosting the season with you. And with that said, we're excited to present to you our first episode. It focuses on anti-racist teaching in higher education through dance. We have the honor of having as guest Truth Hunter, who is a doctoral student in the Department of Educational Leadership in the NEAC School of Education right here at UConn. She is also an instructor this semester for the intergroup dialogue course that's offered through the Higher Education and Student Affairs Program here at UConn. And alongside Truth, we also have Shani Collins. Omar, um, tell us a little bit about Shani. Thank you, Milagros. Shani is an associate professor of dance at Connecticut College, where she focuses on dance theory and composition, West African dance and folklore, and dance history, among other areas. Shani's work transcends domestic and international spaces, which has taken her to Mexico, Senegal, and even South Korea. That said, she brings an immense amount of perspective, love, and passion to this work. We're very excited to have you both, Truth and Shani. We would like to begin by acknowledging that the land on which we gather is the territory of the Mohegan, Mashantucket Pequot, Eastern Pequot, Scaticoke, Golden Hill Pawgusset, Nipmuc, and Lenape peoples, who have stewarded this land throughout the generations. Thank you, Truth and Shani, for being here. We're going to get started with our conversation today. And we're so excited to kick off session two of this podcast with all of you. Um, and this season, we're going to be focusing on the arts, which is something that's really exciting about it and something we haven't had a chance to dig into, which is thinking about anti-racist teaching through the arts. Specifically with the both of you, we're excited to learn about how anti-racist teaching happens through dance or how it can happen through dance. 
And so we're excited to learn from you and to be with you in this conversation. Um, to get us started, Truth, I'm wondering if you could share with us your thoughts on what anti-racist teaching means to you. Absolutely. And thank you so much once again for the invitation. And I'll just get to the point, um, what anti-racist teaching means to me as it relates specifically to African dance is um, the way we try to situate our work is looking at the history and the master narratives that have been presented in the world about people of African descent and in African people. So for example, um, there is this idea that Africa has no history because a lot of the history isn't documented. So you would find some of these ideas um, echoed by uh, prominent scholars like Hegel. And um, you will see that this narrative has been created, a very racist narrative, um, a narrative that was created as a rationale for colonialism and enslavement. So that's like one part of the work is recognizing what that master narrative is, right? And recognizing that within the European and the Western construct, if something isn't documented, then it's not important and therefore you don't have a history. And Africa has this rich, rich history of oral tradition. And that's how we're situating our work because African dance falls under um, an, an oral tradition. And then the second part of that, um, as we think about these master narratives, is also um, the experience of African diaspora people. So um, specifically the transatlantic slave trade. So we know that um, mostly people from the west coast of Africa were trafficked to the Americas. And that group of people, which I often refer to as African diasporic people who were scattered throughout the Americas, there's an, another narrative that they don't have a history because they were cut off from their family structures and culture and history. So we're situating dance within that, um, particularly looking at it as an oral tradition that people of African descent, no matter where they ended up on the diaspora in North America, South America, in the Caribbean, there's this tradition of always sort of maintaining um, sort of the African aesthetic through our arts that is very clearly illustrated through the arts in particular. And we're interested in that, that tradition and how it's preserved and how that tradition speaks back to these dominant ideas that people of African descent don't have a history. And when you make a claim that profound, um, you're basically saying a group of people have not made contributions to the world. They have not, um, they have not completely come into their, to themselves as a whole. So um, we recognize that as being deeply, deeply racist, um, but we use African dance as a way of continuing this oral tradition that hasn't been counted within this Western and Eurocentric construct of what history is and what it means to document history. So that's how we're situating our work. True, that's, that's really powerful and a, a really interesting 
um, an important perspective about recentering the angle, the entry point from which you're looking at history, right? Because then it begins to um, highlight different components. And when you start with the people, you know, history, you know, was there and these traditions were already there, including dance. I really appreciate that perspective on anti-racist teaching through dance. Shani, I'm wondering, you want to add something? Do you have a different thought or something you want to contribute to? What does anti-racist teaching mean for you specifically around dance? Sure, absolutely. I, um, I'm thinking about the ways in which uh, Truth is talking about this master narrative that, that's rooted um, in Eurocentric aesthetics, right? And so how this plays out first, like in our bodies, right? Mentally, physically, even psychologically, the impact that it's had on us. And so what it means for me, especially as a dancer and as an artist who has trained, particularly here in the Americas, um, where uh, most of the curriculum around dance and what we're learning is rooted in that. And so for me, it's a taking a stance, being able to take a stance, being able to center my work around African um, and, and Black folks from the diaspora, centering those voices, centering um, the narratives of um, African and Black people across the diaspora, right? And so it's also this, um, this agency that's created to turn back into our bodies, right? To realize different sensibilities that we have that we may have learned that was different in terms of how we're um, kind of valuing our own um, ourselves inside, inside of whiteness or inside of white excellence, right? That that becomes the standard within all of this. But this uh, practice of, um, you know, anti-racism in, in the body is really um, about, for me, um, turning to the body, the mind, and the soul back to, to the roots and, and us creating our own spaces um, to be able to, um, to liberate ourselves, right, outside of this, the standard of whiteness, outside of this, this white gaze. And so that's kind of what I would add to it. It plays out a lot in dance, in the field of dance, because the master narrative is um, the forms of dance, the techniques that are valued, right? That, you know, ballet is at the top, you know, and I love ballet. I had to train a lot in ballet, but, um, but it plays out in terms of one, um, us using this work as a resistance in higher education to be able to debunk some of these ideas about even technique, right? So West African dance, as well as other dances of the African diaspora um, has, been through a journey of trying to um, to to fight its way to find its way into the institution as as viable uh, techniques, right? Um, and and it it kind of you know the master narrative suggests that there is no technique, there is no form inside of West African dance, inside of hip hop, just as um, Truth was talking about um, that there is no history. And so what we get to do is to be able to teach people and to get closer to that history um, and to, to go back to that and be able to um, just make visible um, the very, um, the, you know, the knowledge that comes from, uh, from the continent and, and the diaspora as well. 
That's really interesting because actually um, in other sessions of this podcast in the last season, we talked a lot about anti-racist teaching not being only a, a against something, but for something. And what you just described, both of you, is that anti-racist teaching through dance and African dance in particular is both working to disrupt dominant ideas about dance in, in the discipline of dance and facilitate a returning to like one's soul to one's body. And so I see this, this dance between what you're against and also what you're for um, in what you both have shared. So it sparks the question of what does this look like when you teach this way in your classroom? And I wonder, um, maybe Shani, if you'd be willing to get us started, like what does it look like if we were sitting in your class or in your classroom right now, what does anti-racist teaching through dance end up manifesting as? Yes, it manifests as um, this mutual ground, right? This mutual space that we don't see. We're talking about like master narratives and it manifests in that, I'm not all knowing, right? Like I'm not, you know, there, there's a mutual ground here. There's a reciprocity between my students and I, right? This, this idea that we're all experts, right? In our own knowledge. And our body brings so much knowledge to the space, no matter where you're from, um, just even interculturally speaking. So it looks like for me, like a circle, um, you know, where there is a, is a communal, um, aspect to the work and there is a call and response that is directly related to, you know, um, our African ways of being, right? Um, that's right there in the oral history. And so, you know, for me, um, it, it also looks like me being able to facilitate um, others' abilities inside of their bodies. It, it looks like that we're valuing different aesthetics, right? And that we're valuing different sensibilities not focusing so much on our eyes or even our intellect, but allowing the aspects of our soul, um, allowing like even inside of the music, right? Hearing the drums and how intrinsic that can be allowing our bodies to really like open up and to be open to these other sensibilities. And, and for me and, and Truth and I as well, um, being able to facilitate this experience um, can be really transforming inside of West African dance for students and for ourselves. Um, and so um, that's, that's what I would say in terms of um, us noticing other aspects and how it plays out a little bit in, in what we call the studio, right? Yeah, Truth, I know you teach a lot with, with Shani. You wanna add to like what that looks like for you or from your perspective, um, how it manifests? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, actually, Shani and I were having a conversation the other day about basically in higher education, we're always talking about how do we create more inclusive spaces? How do we help different populations feel more included? And when I was telling Shani, I feel like when you go to an African dance class, that's a master class in inclusion. And I'm going to break down exactly why. You get there, no matter who you are, everybody has to make a contribution. If you come in in a wheelchair, somebody's gonna hand you a bell that you're gonna be using. If you're a little baby, they're gonna put you on some drums. They're gonna give you a tambourine, right? 
you when when we're having class you see people across and i'm talking a little bit more about the community oriented african dance classes but i think a lot of the lessons can be translated into higher ed education you see people who are um youth to elders i mean like 75 year old women still taking dance class you see women who are pregnant you everybody who comes in the room is acknowledged for their personhood. And that's fundamental to the experience. And then also, as Shani was saying, in terms of the bodily experience, um, African dance is done in harmony with the drummers. So once again, getting back to the African aesthetic, it's not like you just come to class and you do what you want to do and you just feel so free because you hear the drum. Like the drummer holds all the rhythms and the drummer is telling you what to do next. So you're constant, and, and then the drummer is um, literally reading your body the whole time to know. And so you create this synergy between the dancers and the drummers, right? And that's another aspect of, of this interdisciplinary or this interdependence that happens in the experience that is of high value. Um, in terms of thinking about like, how do you create these collaborative experiences? And then also Shani referred to the circle, which is a really important part of African dance. So at the end, we circle up and we come in and we all do our own expression, our own take on, 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 on what you learn and no one gets a free pass. Like, you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to stand back on the circle time. Like, it's serious. Like, if you do not come into the circle, it's, you know, it, it's not really, it, that's what the experience is all about. So those are just some examples of how we can take some of those values from African dance, right? Those values that make people um, feel seen, valued. Um, honored in their body type um, and in their abilities. Because when you go to some of these community classes, there are people who've been dancing for years and people who've just started dancing. But there's a way that space is held for anyone who comes in. So to me, that is what um, excites me and energizes me about African dance. And I try to bring that to higher ed whenever I have the opportunity to teach within the higher ed context. I just um, wanted to also add with that, how that's so different um, and why it's so important is because as a dancer, as you're training, like for instance, I, I went to like a, a conservatory, right? As a dancer. And so sometimes we're trained the complete opposite. We're trained to be remote, right, from the emotions, to pull back, to not fully express ourselves, to not even lean into the space where you're being moved by music, um, or even seeing other people in the space, just to see someone in the space and to be able to make eye contact and to feel that exchange of energy is sometimes discouraged and, and looked down upon in some parts of the field, right? And so this is why this space is so, so important in terms of including um, all of ourselves. That's so beautiful. Uh, thank you. Thank you both for providing that that perspective. And and I, I can I can really relate to what the both of you are saying. Um, despite not being a dancer myself, like by 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 practice, um, I do have a musical background, and specifically, I I, I was a drummer. 
Um, and, and, you know, thinking back to just my experience in music, it very much is this like collective experience. And it's a very visceral, very emotional experience to the point where, like, I'm not going to lie, sometimes when we would perform, I would be crying during the performance because it just got to my core. And it's, it's almost like this, um, which one of you referenced this, that it's like making, making knowledge visible in some form, you know, you feel it, you express it, you convey it in some way. And, and, and both of you, what, what I pick up on the both of you alluded to is like, there's a lot of intentionality about what's taught the, the process is also like very, very focused. And then, you know, just really focusing on that communal experience. Um, something, um, and, and Shani, uh, what, what you shared um, is a perfect segue to, to our next question, actually. Something that fascinates me is just as human beings, how we're in this constant state of evolution. You know, every day we're, we're changing on a second to second basis, on a cellular level, we're changing. And so I'm really curious to know how the both of you have evolved over time. And uh, Shani, you know, this is the first time that we meet. But I, I've, I've read a little bit about your work, and it's really quite fascinating how your experience in the American Dance Festival, you know, really exposed you to uh, your, just your professional growth, uh, you know, meeting and studying with, with uh, some very influential teachers in different spaces as well. You visited MIT, you were at Duke as well. And then in truth, I mean, you're you're you you've been nationwide worldwide you know you've been in different spaces and so i'm just curious to know how have the both of you come to teach and express and share the way that you do and i'd, I'd like uh, uh truth could you kick us off with that question please oh th thank you for that question the bottom line is that african dance changed my life i was six years old when i took my first african dance class in an after school program and the way that I felt in my body, the freedom that I felt at six years old left quite the impression on me. So later, middle school, high school years, I was really into like modern and more ballet and jazz. And I was really interested in like, I wanted to be an Alvin Ailey dancer. That was like my idea of like what it meant to be a dancer. Um, which they do draw from um, African dance forms, but um, you have to have a very strong foundation in modern jazz and ballet. Um, obviously that did not happen in my life, but it just shows that there was a point where I did study ballet, modern and jazz, but it was something about when I got to college, I got reintroduced to African dance and it just clicked for me in that moment. And from there, that's where I felt like that was home for me as a dancer. Um, the doors that have opened for me have, have been limitless in the sense that I have been able to perform um, at, at the time um, with my African dance teacher and her dance company. And, um, and then I had gone on to teach several years later and, um, and Shani and I were able to take our students to Senegal. And while we were there, we performed um, at École e Sambles, which is a really famous dance school there. So it has opened multiple doors for me, but I, I, I wanna say the main thing that African dance has done for me is created that, um, that intervention in, in terms of helping me 
um, to speak back to that master narrative that we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation. It gave me a space to um, develop myself in, in my fullness and to appreciate my history and my culture from the African continent. And what does that mean as, as an African diasporic person? And how do I make meaning of all of that? And it created a space, not just an intellectual space, but an embodied space um, for me to discover who I am and to feel affirmed in, in that environment. Thank you, Truth. It's interesting to reflect on how, you know, the journey um, that, that's gotten me here. And um, I was thinking about, as you were talking, Truth, about the Alvin Ailey School of Dance. Uh, one summer, I, um, I did the eight-week program in New York City when I was a young, young dancer. And actually, at that time, I'm going to tell you, I was scared of West African dance because the circle that, that Truth is talking about, where it's this, it's, it's the expectation that everybody participates, it frightened me. Like, I was really nervous to have to go into the circle to dance, like, you know, to the point where I might would like, scurry out to the bathroom or like try to get away. You know, I knew it was coming up. It was like a big thing. Um, but that, when I look back at it, that has really contributed to just my transformation as an artist, me learning how to create my own language um, in my body, me being free, you know, to be able to move in front of people and for them to be able to witness that. But in terms of like, you know, how I came to teach this way, I had a lot of models. Um, that one in particular, there was a, um, a man who taught West African dance at the Ailey School that summer, who brought in Dreams, this poem by Langston Hughes. And it was so interesting, because here we are in a dance class, and we recite this poem, Dreams, at the end of, of every dance class. Hold fast to dreams, you know, uh, for if dreams go. It's this whole poem. And so um, I think in terms of looking at, um, you know, different elders and the mentors that I've had and how they use the space of the studio has really influenced how I, how I teach. Um, in that particular instance, you know, he's talking about everyday things. You know, he's talking about dreaming. He's talking about how we're treating people. Um, you know, that that everybody, like I said before, is on a mutual ground. And so right away, uh, dance became a reflection of, of, of life and, and I could express life and what I was experiencing, you know, in the dance. And I began to see that particularly in the West African dance class, despite of my fear. Um, you know, around around the circle in particular. But I think also it's in the thinking of it because um, having these spaces um, where I felt affirmed, I talked before about training in ballet um, as a young dancer, having to like, you know, practice and getting rejected because my body and the way that my body looked like, I had thick thighs, I had a sway back. And I remember practicing a lot to try to get the sway out of my back. Um, and so, that dichotomy of me trying to fit in and then me feeling like home in these other spaces where I'm talking about really spoke volumes to me in terms of um, the spaces that I create students or even bodies to come into and how important it is for people to feel like you see them, um, for my students to feel like they're heard, 
um, for them to feel like they, they belong, right? And so that was just really influential um, to me as well as kind of being born out of this uh, Black arts movement, out of the Black liberation movement, which is really defying, you know, whiteness in ways and, and really being radical about um, creating our own spaces uh, for, for liberation. Thank you. Thank you both for, for your answers. Um, I, I'd like to expand and, and uplift uh, a note that you mentioned, Shani, that's, uh, that's that the both of you in, in this process create a new language. And I love that. Um, and in, in a way, I, I imagine that it helps students speak, perhaps in a way that they didn't think that they could before or express themselves in a way that they knew that they could before. And it's it's made me think that knowledge, and I'm even beginning to like deconstruct these ideas, these Western, you know, Eurocentric constructs about how knowledge is viewed in just one way. If it's not written, it's not valid. Um, and how knowledge creation and expression is so multidimensional. Um, I think in, in my experience with music, I think it's, it's uplifted me in moments where I've been at my worst. And it's also enhanced my life in times when it's just, it's been full of happiness, you know, and it's, there, there's no one size fits all approach, you know, it's just, it's so multidimensional. And so I'm just curious to know uh, from, from the students that you both teach, what's their experience and how do they respond to the approaches and the process and the experiences that you both convey and share. Shani, would, would you like to kick us off with that question? Sure. Um... You know, Truth and I have dived in um, a lot around uh, receiving student feedback, especially, you know, during this time, we're, when we were taking students to Senegal to really, like, um, look at the Atlantic slave trade and the impact that that, you know, economic global production had on us even now and why those sites are so um you know, important. And so through that process, particularly thinking about that with students engaging in West African dance um, in the studio, but also this other historical um, intersection with their own identities, we found that there was so much identity exploration um, across the board for students. And they began to, uh, one with some students, um, this knowledge that we're talking about, right, that is so crucial um, to be affirmed and to be valued that's coming out of the African, uh, the knowledge, right? The new knowledge that's produced, but the knowledge that's already come out of West Africa in particular um, and the experience of African and black diasporans. And so for some students, it validated that. It gave them a sense of worth, right? And then for some other students, um, you know, it, 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 it was a, a call really to look at like how we're all responsible, right? How we all played a part or maybe how our ancestors played a part in that and um, us being able to just really investigate that. Um, so for the most part, it's been a very deep exploration for students. Um, this is different though. Like when I was teaching 10 years ago, 11 years ago, like West African dance, predominantly white institution, I had students say some crazy things about, you know, West Africans, like what they thought, their, their um, perspectives on the continent, period, right? And, um, and, and I won't repeat those things, but I'm sure you can imagine. And so what it allows us to do is to be able to um, introduce like 
first of all, positive representations because our representations of the continent and in West Africa are very limited, you know, to what we see in the media. And, and sometimes it's not even accurate, like at all. And so um, students begin to see, oh, oh, wow, okay, that's not true. Oh, okay, you know, and be able to, to make distinctions. Um, and and to to see the culture to experience the culture and and oftentimes um, that is a transformative experience as well as a, a, a space like I talked about that's a safe space that's a brave space for them to connect their own history right and their own ancestry which really like is fruitful inside of that environment so we get to learn about Colombia or we get to learn about you know even from your, your Mexican you know descent it's just it's, it, it gets to be such an intercultural experiences when we're all looking at kind of also where we came from. Uh, thank you. Um, that 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 was great, Shani. Um, and just to pick up where Shani left off um, to give an actual story and an example. So basically the way that we created our class spring of 2018 was that we um, the trip to Senegal happened during the spring break. So we had about maybe like five or six weeks to prepare our students in mind, body, and spirit for that experience, right? So we did a lot of cultural competence for them before they even got to Senegal. They had to re they all had research projects related on the culture, the history of Senegal. Um, we had them do a lot of team building in terms of building trust with one another before getting to Senegal. So we were really intentional about like preparing them for that experience because it was important for us to not show up from um, elite, small, predominantly white liberal arts institution without our students having done the reflective work. We can't control everything that they're going to say, but we wanted to put in that investment and that was important to us. Once we got there to Senegal, I think maybe on the second or third day was really the, um, the, the essence of the trip was going to the, the um, slave dungeons. And you have to, and, and it's literally an island. So it, it was really a whole day journey getting there. And, um, and, and like I said, we've been preparing our students for it um, psychologically, intellectually, we have been reading about it. Um, our students are anticipating it, but when we arrived, what they didn't anticipate was that the people who live on the island make their living by what they sell to tourists. Um, that industry sustains the island. So we're coming in thinking we're gonna have this really deep, profound engagement with history, but what you come in contact with before you even get there is the real material circumstances of Senegalese people there. And that lesson in itself is really profound because we, no matter how well-intentioned our agenda was to, to have um, that experience in the um, slave dungeons, we had to first confront what was real today, right? And we had to make that a part of the learning experience. So even before 
we went into the um, slave dungeons, we were reflecting. And one of the questions we were reflecting on is we wanted them to think about how does it feel to be a witness to historical trauma, right? And so our students had the experience, they went into the slave castles, fast forward, we get back to campus. The core of the class was to take that experience and translate it arti um, artistically into choreography. So we were co-constructing a production piece together based upon our experience, but we had to unpack all of that. We had to unpack the present, right? We had to unpack the history. And as we started to think through what we wanted this piece to look like, um, as Shani stated, our students were really fixated on identity. And what we noticed is that as we were thinking through the storyline of the choreography, the students of color started to think in terms of these characters, like the students of color would, would be the ones enslaved and, and would the white students be the ones who would represent the slave master. And, and we got caught up in this conversation. And I think a turning point for me as an instructor was how do we transcend those roles, those very predictable roles? And, and what we were trying to help our students to understand is that we're all responsible for telling this story. It's not about portraying a character. It is about us trying to have integrity with sharing the story of voices in the history of people who have been silenced. You are a storyteller. You are not necessarily a character. So what we were trying to do is try to get them to transcend out of this white, black binary, which wasn't elevating our thinking. And when we did that, something really powerful happened, particularly, I mean, the students of color, um, most of them um, had were of African descent. Uh, one um, family from Jamaica, the other had family from Haiti. Um, so one was Puerto Rican and Black. And they were having these identity breakthroughs a lot. But the white students in that moment, it was really profound for me that they realized that I'm responsible for this history. I got to embody this history. I am a storyteller. It made I now understand my role in it. And one of the students said something I would never forget because she had been studying colonialism her whole four years. And she said, that's the first time I felt implicated in my work. And she, and she was a senior and it blew me away like because she was tasked with the challenge of embodying it. And I think that's what the power of dance, performance, choreography, and all those different pieces can do is that you remove that veil of intellectuality. You need the intellect, but when you begin to embody it, it becomes more than what you're studying. It becomes who you are, right? And you begin to take responsibility for what you're learning in ways that are, are difficult to do when there's too much of a, when you're too far removed from that history. Truth, I really appreciate your description. That was a really wonderful example, making come to life what you both have been discussing. And, you know, I had goosebumps as you were talking because I, I could feel 
the elevation of the learning you were aiming for the students to engage in, you know, and that it takes some real intentional effort emotionally, intellectually, um, with the body, right, to move from the characters, as you were saying, to the, to viewing it as happening over there. And I'm trying to like, just tell you about that thing versus I am part of this story. And I'm a vehicle from which I'm going to share the story. I'm going to live the story. I'm going to embody the story and the responsibility that comes with that. Um, that's not easy work that you all were doing. That, that sounds really amazing and powerful, transformational, but also hard work, like really hard work on your behalf as instructors and on the students' behalf as, as engaging and learning and, and, and teaching each other. So I'm curious if you would share with our audience, I'm sure that they're as inspired by the conversation um, we're having and by what you all have said. Um, what advice might you give to someone who wants to offer that to their students, uh, someone who wants to engage in that way in their teaching, um, anti-racist teaching, either broadly, or someone who wants to rethink how they're doing their art teaching um, from an anti-racist lens. Um, wondering what, 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 what advice might you give that can help them get closer to transcending the conversation towards a, a, a level of, of, of engagement that really moves students, not what they know, but how they know it. Um, I don't know if uh, uh, one of you would be willing to, to share some thoughts on that, or both of you would be willing to share some thoughts on that. Shani, what do you think? Sure, sure, I'll go. Um, just as you were saying that, I was thinking that um, it's useful to let go of what we, we know or what we think we know, right, inside of these spaces. Um, I think as a, as a professor, it's always the pressure of having to know everything, even with this, uh, in this journey of taking students to Senegal and the questions that come to us, there's this expectation. But I think there's this other uh, piece of being human um, and knowing that we don't know what we don't know, right? Um, and that these other aspects like Truth just talked about, that's gonna catch us unexpectedly that we'll just have to roll with, right? And trust, trust our knowing, really. So it's about trusting also what we know already, right? Um, I would say that. I would also say to like be embodied, like no matter what, you know, you're teaching or what you're doing, like to consider the body inside of it, consider our body, especially during this time post well, I'm not even gonna say it, Lord, post-pandemic, but <laughs> you know, during this global pandemic, um, considering our bodies, really sitting in our bodies, really um, being embodied in terms of noticing what comes up for us in our bodies. How does this, you know, how does my body feel, right? When I'm with this person, what is, what's the energy there? What's the vibe of this place? And also kind of like, vibes in with like-minded people, like finding the community, finding the village, right? Finding the collective in terms of there's other people like Truth and I, right? Like I, I didn't even know she was a dancer. I was on the panel, um, I was on her um, hiring committee, so to speak. And I was like, wow, she's a dancer also. Okay, we're thinking the same thing. You know, we're, we're dreaming about some of the same thing. Let's get together. 
you know, and we're seeing that across the board, even with scholars of people creating collectives, right? So, so the importance of like finding ourselves in other people and working with them, coming together and that happening in, in, in community. Dance, dance. Gotta dance. <laughs> dance. Dance in the living room, in the shower, in the bathroom, outside. You know, put on some music and allow the body to feel good. That it's okay, right? Find something that's pleasurable and feel good and, and dance, y'all. Beautifully stated, Shawnee. Yes, dance, dance, dance. In terms of offering advice on anti-racist teaching or those who want to incorporate more anti-racist thinking into the arts, um, I would say it, it, it reminded me something of the late, great Toni Morrison. She, I mean, she has just really been a source of so much inspiration for me. She said, and I, I'm not going to say the quote correctly, but I hope I capture the essence. She said, I've done everything that I can to not produce work within the white gaze. And beyond that, she said, it's because there's so much imagination that she can unlock because of that, you know? And once again, when we're talking about the white gaze, we wanna pay attention to, it, it comes from this legacy of colonialism, of control and domination, right? So we're not necessarily talking about white people, right? We're, we're talking about, um, an epistemology that has dominated the thinking of um, various marginalized groups. And, and it's important to kind of call that out, that it, it's not about the person, it's about how these ideas have um, dominated us, but have limited our imagination, right? And, and, and while we're doing anti-racist work, it's not about anti-white people, right it's looking at these constructs that prevent us from unleashing our radical imagination right it's not about people we're looking at this legacy that has limited the way that we think about the world about the way that we treat each other right and the way that we get to liberation as bell hooks teaches us is through a practice and we practice this through dance, right? It's not the only way, but this is the way that resonates with us. And we hope to share it with other people because they may not know that the body is a place that will allow them to step more into their radical imagination. So I would say, um, no matter what you're teaching, um, be transgressive, you know, bring in different disciplines and points of views, allow your students to move, give them multiple mo modalities for how they want to express their learning. Um, think of education without any limits, right? And because of the way that education has been constructed within the Western world is very cerebral, is very much, you know, you're sitting at a desk. We forget about the body. Don't forget about the body. The body has a story it wants to tell. The body, and, and that's what dance, that's what I've learned through dance. My body has something it wants to say. Something that my mind just can't say. 
but my mind, my body, and my spirit has something greater in harmony, in union to say. So um, those are just my thoughts on that. Woo, just want to give you both uh, snaps right there. That was so beautiful, so beautifully said. Thank you, thank you both so much. Um, Truth, Shani, thank you so much for this inspiring conversation, positive and inspiring conversation. Uh, we really appreciate the wisdom that you both shared today in elevating the relevance and value of anti-racist teaching, particularly through dance. Um, it's been so powerful hearing how you work to disrupt dominant ideas about dance when creating a space for dancers to find themselves and return to their souls and their bodies, as you both so eloquently mentioned. Um, thank you for your work, for your art, and your contribution to your students and really the broader world. We just really appreciate you both. So thank you immensely. As always, we're thankful for the support from the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at the University of Connecticut, because it takes a village and it takes heart.